Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Capital City Christian Church. My name is Joe. Why don't everyone please stand while we worship? Let's try that again. Good morning. Hey, we're glad to see you today. I want to welcome you to Capital City. We're glad that you've taken time to come and join us on this day of worship. Uh, if you're watching us online, everybody turn around and look at the camera real quick. We'll wave to those folk who are watching us online. Uh, we're glad that you're at least joining us there. 
Uh, by chance, if you're watching us while you're driving, I would encourage you to pull over, stop, okay? We don't need to take a chance with any accidents that might occur while Doc's preaching today and then him get blamed for it, okay? But hey, we're glad to see you. Glad you've taken time to come and join us. If you're a guest, we extend a very special welcome to you. Glad to have you with us. Uh, maybe you noticed on the back of the chairs there in front of you some cards. One of them says connect. Uh, if you're a guest, we'd love to have your name and email address just so we can provide you some information about Capital City. So if you wouldn't mind grabbing one of those cards, fill that out for us. You can drop those in the offering boxes a little later in the service, or you can drop those off at the Welcome Center on your way out uh, this morning. Just to give you an idea, we'll, we'll be here for about 60, 65 minutes, something like that. We'll do some more singing. We'll have an opportunity to be around the Lord's table. Like I said, Doc's going to continue in our series called God Canceled uh, this morning. Uh, before we get through all that, let me share a few announcements, some things that are coming up. Uh, let's see, what do we have today? Following the service, uh, our kids' ministry is doing a fundraiser lunch down in the gym. And so they've got a spaghetti lunch that's going to take place. Uh, they're going to have it ready when this service is done. So if you want to stop down there and either uh, enjoy your, your late breakfast, early lunch, uh, before you go, you can do that. Or they'll have carryout as well. You can do that. And again, they're just asking for a donation. This is going to go help offset our calls for summer camps uh, that our kids are going to be doing. So if you, uh, if you want to do that, that'd be great. If you're here for maybe a, a, the, the extra hour as well, they'll be down there following the second service as well so i encourage you to stop down there in the gym support our kids ministry next saturday we're excited to be offering this marriage date night uh, we're partnering with extreme faith productions bringing that here to frankfurt that's going to be here at our church starting at six o'clock tickets are 39 dollars a couple and so i encourage you to come be a part of that i'll be out in the connections room this morning following the service you can pick up tickets uh, there and maybe maybe even buy an extra ticket and invite uh, uh, a couple uh, you know that you that you hang out with maybe somebody that you work with maybe a neighbor invite them to come as well it's from 6 to 8 45 uh, we'll have snacks available there's not a dinner included with but we will have snacks available so I've had a couple of people ask about that so maybe maybe you can get together and go to eat beforehand uh, then be here next Saturday night again see me in the connections room this morning following the service and we'll get you hooked up uh, with tickets for that and then also next Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, we're going to start two new growth groups. Uh, there's six-week groups. There's one for ladies and one for men. Okay, so I, uh, if you're interested in getting involved in a small group study on a Sunday morning, I invite you to come be a part of that. You can see there the uh, ladies are going to be in room 303, and the guys are going to be in room 302. And there's the topics, uh, ladies, what the women saw, and then guys, be a godly man. So I hope that you'll come be a part of that next Sunday morning. Upstairs, third floor, that'll take place at 11 o'clock. So uh, I know today's Super Bowl, and I think Doc's got some stuff to talk about Super Bowl, so I don't want to steal any of his thunder. And then tomorrow's a big day, okay? So let me ask real quickly, uh, how many of you guys have already gotten a gift for your Valentine's? Show of hands, please. Ooh. Okay, let me ask this one. How many of you ladies have already gotten a gift for your Valentine's? Okay, not too bad. Now let me ask this question. If your lady says, oh, don't worry about it, honey, it's just Valentine's Day, what does that, what does that tell you? That, that says, don't worry about it. Whoever said that's in trouble, right, Felicia? So I, I thought that was Shane Smith's voice. So. But you know, I got to thinking about that. You know, who gets to decide the rule? I mean, who, who was it that first came up with the rules for Valentine's Day? Because as most of us know, okay, especially as most of us guys know, even if the lady says, oh, don't worry about it, you know you're in trouble if you don't at least have a card, okay? 
and maybe even a small box of Whitman's samplers. You don't have to go with the chocolate-covered strawberries kind of thing, but even just a Whitman's samplers. Yes, Miss Smith, am I supposed to call on you now? No, ma'am, no, ma'am. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, when it comes to the rules, who gets to decide what's right and wrong, right? That's sort of where we're going this morning in our conversation on God's cancel. Who gets to decide what's right and what's wrong? And Valentine's Day, I'm not trying to create problems for us here now, okay? But what a great opportunity to talk about who's right and who's wrong. Guys, I'll leave that to you, and I hope that you're right with what you pull off tomorrow morning. Hey, let's stand and continue to worship our Heavenly Father this morning.
Father in heaven, we here, we're here today because of our love for you. We're here today even more importantly because of your love for us. Ours is so small and so weak and so bad in comparison to your love. And what you showed us in the work of Jesus Christ, Father, has given us a hope that we never had before, a family that we never had before, a faith that we couldn't even muster on our own. So we come into this place and we realize that it's better this way. It is better to be in your house. It is better to be in your kingdom. It's better to be in this family than to be away from you. We've learned it through our lives. We've learned it because we have experienced you and not just talked about you. We know who you are. And we want this intimate relationship, Father, to keep growing and growing and growing. Lord, we give you everything in our hearts. You deserve everything. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Would you guys have a seat for a second? I'll tell you, you know, when it comes to, uh, to uh, Valentine's Day, we're thinking about uh, love a lot and hearts and all that other stuff. I see, you know, I'm sure when you get your Valentine's Day cards and stuff, you'll see a variety of them, many of those types of uh, hearts that are on there. And I'm telling you, the, the heart is not a good thing. And I'm not just making this up because I'm cynical toward uh, uh, Valentine's Day and love. I really do. Love uh, uh, people and love my wife. And I'm telling you, when it comes to this type of stuff, though, we have to be different than what we would be on our own. Jeremiah 17, 9, 10 says, The human heart, our hearts, everybody's hearts in here, is deceitful, is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. I know what my actions deserve. I know I'm worth nothing without Jesus Christ and what he has given to me. This relationship that I have him is what defines me now. It defines Every person who has looked at their old life and said, I don't want to be that way anymore. So what we want to do when we come here is we want to celebrate that. It's not just something that we do because it's a part of the service. It is a celebration of what Jesus Christ has done, his work on the cross. So when we spend these next few moments thinking about this, I don't want it to be something that just happens every week. I want it to be something that is a, a true celebration as you go to the tables and you take the bread and the juice it's a way for us to remember and to thank Jesus Christ for allowing us a place in the Father's house. A way for us to have a better, a different heart because it's, it's in line with God's now. So in the next few moments when we stand up again, we go to the tables, you're going to have a chance to be able to do that and to celebrate that sacrifice. If you want to know more about it later on, we'd love to talk to you. This place is your home and you want to give an offering. We have these black boxes that are each of the tables. And even if you go outside of that offering that you would typically bring, you want to give to somebody in need in this community. White buckets that we have at each of the tables are also available. Would you stand right now? Let's go to the tables and remember the gift of Jesus Christ.
Let's find out. Absolutely astounding. There you have it. Undeniable proof that you can be good without believing in God. But wait. The question isn't, can you be good without believing in God? The question is, can you be good without God? See, here's the problem. If there is no God, what basis remains for objective good or bad, right or wrong? If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. And here's why. Without some objective reference point, we have no way of saying that something is really up or down. God's nature provides an objective reference point for moral values. It's the standard against which all actions and decisions are measured. But if there's no God, there's no objective reference point. All we're left with is one person's viewpoint, which is no more valid than anyone else's viewpoint. This kind of morality is subjective, not objective. It's like a preference for strawberry ice cream. The preference is in the subject, not the object. So it doesn't apply to other people. In the same way, subjective morality applies only to the subject. It's not valid or binding for anyone else. So, in a world without God, there can be no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. God has expressed his moral nature to us as commands. These provide the basis for moral duties. For example, God's essential attribute of love is expressed in his command to love your neighbor as yourself. This command provides a foundation upon which we can affirm the objective goodness of generosity, self-sacrifice, and equality. And we can condemn as objectively evil greed, abuse, and discrimination. This raises a problem. Is something good just because God wills it, or does God will something because it is good? The answer is neither one. Rather, God wills something because He is good. God is the standard of moral values, just as a live musical performance is the standard for a high-fidelity recording. We found your love. The more a recording sounds like the original, the better it is. Likewise, the more closely a moral action conforms to God's nature, the better it is. But if atheism is true, there is no ultimate standard. So there can be no moral obligations or duties. Who or what lays such duties upon us? No one. Remember, for the atheist, humans are just accidents of nature, highly evolved animals. But animals have no moral obligations to one another. When a cat kills a mouse, it hasn't done anything morally wrong. The cat's just being a cat. If God doesn't exist, we should view human behavior in the same way. No action should be considered morally right or wrong. But the problem is, good and bad, right and wrong, do exist. Just as our sense experience convinces us that the physical world is objectively real, oh. our moral experience convinces us that moral values are objectively real. Every time you say, Hey, that's not fair, that's wrong, that's an injustice, you affirm your belief in the existence of objective morals. We're well aware that child abuse, racial discrimination and terrorism are wrong for everybody. 
always. Is this just a personal preference or opinion? No. The man who says that it is morally acceptable to rape little children is just as mistaken as the man who says 2 plus 2 equals 5. What all this amounts to then is a moral argument for the existence of God. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. But objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. Atheism fails to provide a foundation for the moral reality every one of us experiences every day. In fact, the existence of objective morality points us directly to the existence of God. Good morning. Glad you guys are here. Before I get into this stuff, I just wanted to point out, we've, we've got this emphasis this year, we're calling 12,000 nudges. We want to basically give our community, Frankfurt, 12,000 nudges, or just kisses of God. And every month we're going to have a different emphasis. Last year it was, or last month it was the Yes, It's Free cards. This month, we've got a thousand roses, Okay. And those roses are going to be out on the, in the foyer when you leave this place. We'd like all of you, if you don't mind, take a couple. Guys, this is not for your wife, okay? Um, ladies, this is not for your husband. Um, my wife gave me, gave me flowers one time when we were young, okay? Here's coaching, guys. Don't laugh like I did, okay? <laughs> it doesn't end well. But in any case, um, we want you to just give it away to somebody, um, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe you're at a restaurant, give it to a, a waitress or give it to a, 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 one of the, the person who's a receptionist at the front if you're at Kroger. Hand one out. It's got a little card on it that just says, may this simple gift remind you that God loves you most of all. And so we're encouraging you to use this uh, to give someone just a, a little nudge from God, a little kiss from God, okay? It's a great uh, time to do it right at Valentine's Day. It's a Valentine's Day gift from God to a neighbor. And we just want, like everybody in the church, take a couple of these and pass them out in the next couple of days, okay? Now, Super Bowl Sunday. You guys excited? Yeah. Yeah, a couple of you are excited. That's so cool. Now, I want to hear it. How many of you guys are for the Bengals? That's pathetic, okay? How many of you guys are for the Rams? Okay, they have it. The Rams have it, I'm pretty sure. How many of you guys are pulling for the commercials in the halftime show? Yeah. All right, all right, okay. How many of you are like, who cares? Yeah, yeah I didn't expect a response. Um, and, and, and who do you think God's pulling for, the, the, the uh, Rams or the Bengals? He made the Bengals kind of bigger. They're kind of meaner, but he's kind of pulls for the underdog, doesn't he? Now, if you are a Bengals or a Rams fan and apparently there are not a whole lot of you here that are, um, would it bother you if you learned that your team cheated like dogs? I mean, what if you learned that the Bengals last week used a drone to spy on the Rams' practices? Would that bother you? Or it's being played in L.A. What if you learned that the Rams had one of their custodians go in there and steal a playbook? Would that bother you? Right before the game, you learned that the Rams turned up the thermostat because they figured that people down in L.A. are going to be more used to the heat than folks in Bengals in Cincinnati this time of the year, right? 
but you also discover that the Bengals are juicing their players right before the game with painkillers and stimulants. That fire you up? What if you heard that during the game, the Rams actually pumped up the crowd noise whenever the Bengals have the ball so that they had a hard time for their players to hear the signals? Or maybe you discover that the Bengals keep faking injuries so that they can stop the clock, get a little extra time. Just part of the game? Or moral outrage? Does it bother you? Do you know that right now there are accusations of cheating in Beijing for the Olympics, right? Some people are mad. What if you learn that it's your team that's cheating? Is that just a little less aggravating? Or maybe you're a basketball fan. Do you get worked up when it feels like all of the calls are going against your team? How many of you guys still despise Christian Leitner, right? If you're a sports fan, perhaps even a maniacal sports fan, chances are you have a finely honed sense of right and wrong, right? Especially if you think you've been wronged. Where did your moral compass come from? Nature? Nah. No cheating in nature. Maybe you don't care about sports. Total waste of time, right? Maybe you're invested in some social cause. Maybe politics. Maybe social media. Maybe even video games. Chances are you have a finely honed sense of right and wrong. Especially if you think you're being cheated or slandered or lied to. Where does your moral outrage come from? Where does your moral compass come from? From nature? Good luck with that. Guys, ever hear of a comedian by the name of George Carlin? Pretty funny guy, very smart, very crude, very dead. He sometimes poked at culture. He was a social critic. He says, I got to tell you, the longer I live, the more you look around, the more you realize that something is wrong. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. Something's definitely wrong. You know, it's weird. Carlin had given up on God. He hated religion. So where did his moral compass come from? From nature? I mean, disease, death, destruction, hunger. That's how nature is. From logic? It's not going to work. I'll show you. Bottom line, without God, how do you call this stuff evil or wrong or immoral? If there's no God, that's just simply his opinion or his preference. Hmm. But we've all got this finely honed sense of right and wrong, this moral compass. At least most of us do, because people who don't have that moral compass, we're going to call them a psychopath right? Most of us are capable of moral outrage. We get mad when things are just wrong. In fact, if you get to the point where wrong doesn't bother you when you don't get mad anymore, you're broken. And here's what's weird, and this, this is really weird. Listen, if what bothers me doesn't bother you, that bothers me. If you're not outraged by the same stuff that outrages me, that bothers me. For some of you guys, it's some social cause, some societal injustice, racism, sexism, capitalism, socialism, some other ism, right? 
There's something wrong, we think. And if you can't see that, there's something wrong with you. For a lot of folks right now, it, masks or masks in schools or vaccines or vaccine passports or demonstrations, we're angry. And we get angry when people don't see it our way. We have a finely tuned moral compass. Where did it come from? There's outrage over abortion. And it's met with outrage that abortion rights are under attack. Whoever's on the other side is either stupid or evil, right? Read the news, surf Instagram, Twitter, anger, fighting, mocking, marginalizing, canceling. Everyone is trying to seize the moral high ground and filled with this moral indignation. Here's what's weird, guys. This is, this is what I want you to catch. We fiercely protect our right to do whatever we think is right in our own eyes. And at the same time, we hate it when others dare to do what is right in their eyes. Go figure. When we don't see the things the same. You don't feel like I do? You don't think like I do? What's wrong with you? You're either stupid or you're evil, right? What do you think? Is my assessment over the top or am I getting close to how people think and behave? Hmm. There is a phrase in the Old Testament, it's in the book of Judges, that kind of captures, I think, the attitude of our culture. Judges 17.6, it says, In those days Israel had no king, so all of the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And as a result... Israel was a mess, a stinking mess. The NIV put it like that. In those days, Israel had no king, so everyone did as they saw fit. Good news Bible. No king in Israel at the time, so everyone just did whatever they wanted. Now, I suppose those translations do convey what we're supposed to get from the verse. But the old New American Standard Version is more literal to the Hebrew. It says, since they had no king, every man did what was right. Every man did what was right. Everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Literally, they're not out there doing what they think is wrong. They just think they get their own right and wrong, right? Their own truth. What I'm doing is right in my eyes may not be right for you, but it's right for me. Since there's no God, since there's no king, who made you my boss? And if you get enough people thinking that way, you get pretty much the mess that you see when you read the papers, right? Now, this verse is repeated actually word for word in the last chapter of the book of Judges. In those days... Israel had no king. They still had no king, not even God. So people were doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It's a summary verse, a summary of the whole book, a summary of that whole period of Israel's history, and it was an ugly, ugly time. There's this cycle that keeps repeating itself through the book of Judges. People of Israel would start marginalizing God. They would start living like there's no God, doing whatever's right in their own eyes. So God would raise up an enemy that would beat the Israelites down. 
until the Israelites learned that without God they were hosed. So they'd repent and ask for God's help, and God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, like a, a Gideon or a Deborah or a Samson. And as soon as the people of Israel had been res- rescued, they'd start marginalizing God again and living like there was no God again, doing whatever's right in their own eyes, doing whatever they wanted, irrespective of what God wanted. And the cycle just keeps repeating over and over and over. It was an ugly time in Israel, kind of like ours. And it's weird. I mean, literally, if you take it literally, they're not out there doing what they know is wrong. Literally, they're out there doing what they think is right in their own eyes. But, bottom line, guys, sometimes what we think is right is stupid in God's eyes. You buy that? And when my idea of what is right clashes with God's idea of what is right, whose right would you go with? Mine? Or that of an eternal, transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient, perfectly holy, perfectly just, yet perfectly loving God? This is huge, guys. Here's a big idea. Whenever your right and wrong clashes with God's right and wrong, you will discover that God is right and you are wrong eventually. You'll discover God really is smarter than you are and wiser than you are and gooder than you are, right? One other thing. This is huge really huge. Where do you get this notion that there is a right and wrong anyway if you're not getting it from God? You see, I think our culture, our world is living out an absurd contradiction. I think our culture is immersed in a bizarre hypocrisy and it's sucking a lot of Jesus followers in. Here it is. On the one hand, we say, it's my life. I can do what I want with my life right? I have the right to determine what's right and what's wrong for me. You can't force your moral standards on me. I have the right to do what is right in my eyes, right? It kind of captures one side of us, doesn't it? And on the other hand, we're like, what's wrong with you? How can you believe something like that? You need to be shut up. How can you do something like that? How can you support something like that? And we've got this moral indignation, this moral outrage directed at those who don't think like we do or act like we think they should, even if they're simply doing what seems right in their eyes. (laughs) We're hypocrites. You don't have the right to force me to do your right and wrong, but I sure as heck have the right to try to force mine on you. You're evil. You're stupid if you don't buy what I think is right and wrong. (laughs) Because all of us have some kind of a moral compass, unless you're a psychopath. We all believe that there are some things that are simply wrong. even, Even those who blow off God think that there are things that are just simply wrong. Most people around us, whether they're theists or atheists, they're going to believe that things like Racism is wrong, and bullying is wrong, and rape is wrong, and sex trafficking is wrong, stuff like that. When we hear of groups that don't think that's wrong, we think they're messed up. 
And yet, the vast majority of Americans reject the idea of absolute truth. Here it is. They did a study back in 2016, about six years ago, found that only about one-third of us, 35% of us American adults, believe in an objective morality, which means there are moral standards that will apply to every man, every woman, every child, everywhere for all of time. And even though that's the way we think, we all try to seize the moral high ground from which we can look down and judge and criticize and mock people and cancel anyone who disagrees with us on what we think is right and wrong. We're kind of like, there is no absolute right and wrong, right? But if you don't support my causes, unless you accept the things I accept, unless you hate the things I hate, you're either stupid or evil. Can you see the hypocrisy? Listen, guys. That sense that there must be some right and some wrong, that sense that things are not as they should be, is a powerful, powerful evidence that there is a God. Nature didn't give you that. I mean, we know our world is broken. We know the people around us are broken. If we're brutally honest, we're going to admit that we're broken. All of us fail even to live up to our own standards, much less God's. Where do we get that moral bent? Here it is, guys. There is no God. There is no objective morality. There is no absolute right and wrong. You get to choose your own. If there's no God, it would be perfectly logical for you to do whatever's right in your own eyes, even though the people around you are never going to agree with you because they also get to do what's right and wrong in their eyes, right? Without God, without God, this world will always be a mess. You know that some people in our world do think that sex slavery or throwing homosexuals off a roof is not evil, but it's right. Do you know that some people in our world think that cutting off the hands of a thief or killing a woman who's caught in adultery is not evil? It's right. And if there is no God, how would you argue with them? Do you know that some people in our world think it'd be right to kill you if you shared Jesus with one of your kids or neighbors or friends? And if there's no God, what makes your moral compass any more valid than theirs? Did you know that some people in our world believing that mutilating the genitals of young girls or Burning the widow when her husband dies? They don't think that's evil. But I hope it stirs a moral outrage in you. Where'd your moral outrage come from? From nature? From reason? From your personal preferences? Guys, if there's no God, who cares? If there's no God, everyone does get to do whatever's right in their own eyes. If there's no God, what's wrong when we accept the moral values of their culture, even if their moral values are repugnant to us? We've got a moral compass. It's often messed up, but we still have a moral compass because it was put in you by God, whether you believe in Him or not. 
that sense of right and wrong, that sense that some things are fair and other things are not, that moral compass inside of you is a powerful, powerful evidence that there is a God. You see, if there's no God, there's no evil, there's no good, there's just nature. There's no good and evil in nature. There's no way to have a coherent, universally applicable moral system without God. Most people are like, if there's no God, everyone should get to do what's right in their own eyes. But I'll judge you if you don't agree with me. How crazy is that? And when everybody gets to do what's right in their own eyes, the result is inevitably chaos. Russian writer by the name of Fyodor Dostoevsky. He wrote really big, fat books with no pictures. Books like Crime and Punishment and The Brothers Karamazov. Brilliant man. He said, if God doesn't exist, everything is permissible. John Paul Sartre was an atheist. Brilliant novelist, philosopher, said the same thing. If God doesn't exist, everything is permitted. Because they got it. They understood it. Do you? If God doesn't exist, how can you explain, how can you defend any kind of moral outrage? Beyond that, how can you teach your children to be good? But we try. We're trying to teach our kids to be good without God. Our schools are trying hard. They're not just trying to teach your kids reading, writing, and arithmetic. They're trying to teach our kids tolerance and fairness and kindness and cooperation and honesty. But usually without rooting any of that stuff in God. <laughs> They're trying, but how's it working? It can't be done. And the vast majority of parents are not helping because the vast majority of parents don't root their moral compass in God either. Do you understand the foolishness of trying to teach our kids right and wrong at the same time blowing off God? Now, can you be good? Can you be good without believing in God? I mean, that was the question in the video, right? Can you be good without believing in God? Of course you can. Bottom line, some of the finest men I know are atheists. Some of the biggest jerks I know are Jesus followers. At least they claim to be. And some people think that's enough evidence to, throw, to blow God off, right? They point to atheists that are good and theists that are bad, and how can there be a God? Proves nothing. Except that even the best of us is broken. And the only shot any of us have, any of us have, is grace. No matter how good you think you are. But the real question is not, can you be good without believing in God? The real question is, can you actually say there's good and evil? Can you actually say that there are some things that are wrong, no matter how many people are doing it? Can you come up with a set of coherent, defensible, shareable moral values if there's no God? Can you be moral without God? And the answer is no. Any of us can be good, right? whether we believe in God or not. In fact, most of us have the desire to be good because God planted that desire inside of us. He's written it on our hearts. But to think that you can judge another person's moral values if there's no God, good luck with that. 
But we try every single day with moral indignation and moral outrage. Some people try logic. Let's think it through. Let's just be rational together, right? If, if you think hard and if you think well, eventually you're going to agree with me on what's right and wrong, we think. Which might work if we were all rational creatures, but we're not. Thousands and thousands of years of thinking it through and we still disagree and we still fight about nearly everything. We're never going to logic or reason ourselves to a common moral code. Others think you can create to some kind of a moral code by appealing to self, by appealing to self. You know, my, myself will be better off if I do unto others what I want them to do to me. Egocentric altruism. Benevolent self-interest. It'll go best for me if I'm decent to you. But it's still all about self. And if I can do better for me by stepping on you, what's to prevent that? Others think good and evil, right and wrong, nothing more than preference. If you like it, it's good. If you don't like it, it's bad, right? Just do whatever's right in your own eyes, which I think is probably the most common and maybe the stupidest way to shape a moral code. Follow your heart. Steve put a scripture up there, which I think is true. Prophet Jeremiah, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and just desperately wicked. I don't know about you, but mine is. It's messy. And if I follow my heart, I'm going to end up in terrible places. So will you. Others think, well, maybe it's the conscience. Just follow your conscience, right? If it feels right, do it. If it doesn't feel right, don't. Do you know how dumb that is? And guys, God gave you your conscience. It's an amazing gift. It's a tool by which you can measure your actions by your values. You measure your actions by your values. It is not a guide to right and wrong. It's a measure of whether or not you're violating your own standards. If your standards are messed up, if your values are messed up, so is your conscience. And you can sear your conscience, can't you? If I do something that I know is wrong long enough, pretty soon it doesn't feel wrong anymore. Conscience is a great tool. It's a gift from God. It's a gift that other animals don't share. But your conscience is only as good as your moral code. If your moral code is messed up, your conscience is too. I mean, think about it. Some people feel perfectly fine about being racists thieves, liars. Some people don't have any compunction about stepping on someone else to get ahead because our consciences are only as good as our moral code. Maybe, maybe it's just nature. Just nature. There is a moral code that comes from nature, right? It's called survival of the fittest, natural selection. Guys, you don't get your sense of right and wrong from nature. When your cat can torture a mouse, your dog can tear up a sofa, a bull can rape every cow in the pasture, a chicken can peck the feathers off of another weaker chicken. They are not evil. They're animals playing by the rules of nature. But when a man plays by those rules, it's different. We sense evil. 
Richard Dawkins, one of the smartest atheists there have been, put it like this. He said, in the universe of blind physical forces, some people are going to get hurt. Others are going to get lucky. No rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe is precisely what you'd expect if at bottom there is no design, no purpose, no good, and no evil, just blind, pitiless indifference. And that is the logical end of atheism. Now, fortunately, very few atheists understand the implications of their atheism morally. And fortunately, most atheists who do get it don't even try to live out what they say they believe. They try to be good. They try to teach their students to be good because a world that is ruled by the laws of nature would be intolerable. But they'll try to tell you that the evil in this world is a proof that there's no all-powerful, all-good God. When actually, the very fact that they struggle with the notion of evil at all is a powerful evidence that there must be a God. So when you think about it, think about it, guys. So many things. Without God, love makes no sense. And we all have an amazing capacity for love. Without God, beauty makes no sense. We're going to look at those things. But we're all dazzled by a sunset. Without God, there are no absolutes, no real right and wrong, but you still have a powerful sense that things are not as they should be. Go figure. Without God, man is no more than an animal, and life has no intrinsic value. But we still hate racism, human trafficking, when the rich crush the poor. Where does that moral impulse come from? But guys, if, there's no God, if there is a God, now things start making sense. If there is an eternal, transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient, perfectly holy, perfectly just God, the God revealed to us in and through Jesus, and He actually cares how we live for some reason, if that Creator gave you a sense of right and wrong and then tries to shape your understanding of right and wrong so He can make your life better, and if that God cares enough to hold us accountable, Someday for the evil choices we make, all of us, if we blow him off. Listen, guys, think about this. The only one who has the right to say that there is a right and a wrong, that some things are always right and wrong for every man, woman, and child everywhere for all of time, the only one who has a right to make those kinds of rules is our Creator God. And He has. And he's planted a sense of that in every single one of us. And he sent his son into our world to make sure we get it. So the only moral values that stick and the only moral values that really work are those that are given to us by our creator. You need to understand, guys, there's an incoherence, there's a contradiction that flows right out of atheism of hypocrisy, I think almost an obscenity woven into it. And they can't live it out. Because if there's no God, it's kind of like, says who? You get your right and wrong? I get mine. Who made you God over me? And yet they still sense that there are things 
that are not right in the world because God has written it on their hearts whether they acknowledge it or not. Tim Keller put it like this. He says, the existence of evil is not an evidence of God's absence in our universe. It's an evidence of God's absence in our lives. And of all the creatures in this world, only we humans can see it. Only we humans are bothered by it because only we humans were created in the image of God. By the way, guys, on Wednesday, we do a follow-up study to what we do on Sunday mornings. And on Wednesday, I'm going to tackle a question that plagues a lot of people. Where does God get a sense of good and evil? Where does that come from? Wednesday night, 6.30 in the Student Worship Center. It's also going to be live streamed, so it's available on our Capital City Live YouTube channel. Now, let me close with this. Most of you guys, not all of you, but most of you guys in this room are believers. You're Jesus followers. I can understand, guys, why those who don't believe in God think they can make their own rules. What's way harder to understand is why some of us who do believe in God still do whatever is right in our own eyes instead of trying to do what we know is right in His eyes. It's crazy, guys. If you believe in God, let Him be God. Not just your Savior, but your Lord trusting it will make your life better. And when you mess up, which you will, and all of us know what's right and wrong in His eyes, and all of us fail. If you follow Jesus, you find grace. Because in the end, it will not be about how good I am. It'll be about how good He is. It'll be about grace. But you have to let him be your Lord as well as your Savior. We've got a guys praying for you right now. One of our elders back in that prayer room. We're going to sing a song, and it's a time when we just basically say, God, are you whispering to me? Are you nudging me in some fashion? If God whispers to you, if God nudges to you, don't push back. God loves you, He only wants your best. If you need to talk to someone about starting a life with God, we'd love to talk to you. Go speak to the elder in that prayer room. Come on, I'm going to sit right down here. I'd love to talk to you during this next song. If perhaps you're kind of drifting and you want a church home and for some reason you like this one, if he's your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to be our brother and sister here at this place. Let's pray together. Father, give us wisdom so that we can see this world through your eyes. Give us wisdom so we can see ourselves through your eyes. And give us a boldness. Give us a courage. There's no reason to be timid as Jesus' followers. Give us the ability to stand tall, to be bold, to live life with a lightness. We love you dearly. Give you thanks for what you've done for us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
in heaven we, we know that you are good and we are not we know that you are pure and holy and set apart Father and we want that to be who we are so we come before you and realize that we on our own can, can do nothing we ask for your ability to do that within each of us we ask for you to take us and set us apart so that we can live a life that is worthy of being called your sons and your daughters worthy of being called Christians in this world Father, help us to rely upon your goodness, to rely upon your heart. We want to seek after you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being a part of this service. We hope that you'll grab a couple of roses on your way out and make sure that you're nudging the people that are around you. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>